Hello and welcome back to Who Asked You, the Daily's first talk show. We're your hosts, Gabby and Marissa. So today we're going to talk a little bit about this week and the last week in politics since the debates and since our first show. Well, uh, a little flex, first of all, I met Elizabeth V. Warren. I covered her town hall for the Daily. It was honestly kind of crazy. I've never been to a town hall before. For those who have never been to one either, she just kind of outlined her policy platforms and told her story, kind of wove a narrative. She answered three questions from the audience. And then it was kind of weird because I went backstage to like the media availability and like there's CBS, CNN, Bloomberg, all these big reporters. And I was just like in the back with my phone, like, hi. Literally a whole and journalist. <laughs> and I didn't get to ask any questions from her. So I was so sad. But then I waited until I could see like one of her press people and just was like, please, please, please. I just need to ask her one question. What she plans to do to reach out to youth voters besides free college. She slime balled her way out of that answer. But it was so like a really crazy experience what about you gabby i feel like you've had some hobnobbing recently i have not met any presidential candidates but i met good old governor ralph northam of virginia i've seen him three times in the last three weeks casual listeners may know him from his blackface scandal. <laughs> i know him from a few events in richmond of the past three weeks he is a lot more southern than i realized he's got a very thick southern accent and he like looks you right in the eye when speaking sometimes which is a little uncomfortable um but yeah ralph and i you know we now go way Hopefully back not not far <laughs> enough back for it to be problematic for future career opportunities and that's that on that <laughs> let's um talk about the actual candidates now just hit some of the new developments in policy from this week so if you want to go ahead and start about cory booker release some immigration policy yeah he, um he did it in english um <laughs> which is a first for him but basically what booker said he plans to do is use some of that executive power he would have um, to undo some of the first two years of what has defined Trump's administration by rolling back a lot of the immigration policy. He wants to restore all these protections for DACA immigrants and the quote-unquote Muslim ban Trump enacted. He wants to like stop all construction on the border wall and also remove some of the sections of it. So I thought it was a pretty comprehensive plan. Something that was missing for me was about what he wouldn't potentially do about the thousands of immigrants that are still here currently housed in private detention centers like i know he wants to abolish those types of private facilities and partnerships with prisons but something that's big for me is how is he going to care for the people who are already here and who have already been really really hurt and damaged by that system yeah i will say i appreciate um the effort to release immigration policy i feel like a lot of candidates are still working on that but to me this you know, it's all good stuff, but it seems like kind of a return to the Obama status quo in which there were still a lot of problems regarding like creating a legal, like things like creating a legal path to citizenship or, you know, ICE and like ICE's practices, especially in light of like the recent, and that was big news, the um, Facebook group that was discovered by ProPublica. I would like to see from other candidates some more forward-looking proposals that attempt to address um, things like a pathway to citizenship or like you were saying, like agreements with for-profit prisons. What about Pete Buttigieg? One of the big issues he's faced in his campaign is engagement with black voters. Obviously, there was um, a police shooting of an unarmed black man in South Bend, Indiana, where he's mayor. Black support for him went down between his two mayoral campaigns in South Bend. He's pulling really poorly with black voters. So his plan would, uh, there's a few segments here. He wants to improve police training. He wants to create a federal fund for investment in minority-owned businesses, which Elizabeth Warren has also said she would do. Um, he wants to abolish private federal prisons, and he wants to ban incarceration for 
simple drug possession. This is especially interesting coming off of his presidential town hall. So how do you analyze that? For someone who didn't know really who Pete Buttigieg was beyond, oh, like quirky white guy, um, that town hall in April like really surprised me because I feel like of all the things that you could say to cement your democratic platform, to be like, oh, I don't think felons should have the right to vote. It's such a departure from like where I feel like the Democratic Party should be going. That particular moment really stood out to me. And then there was a recent poll. He's basically polling at zero with black people across the country. I think he should be very cautious about what seems like pandering and what is just misguided. A lot of his policies going forward will just have to be coming from black advisors and he should really learn to trust those people and put them on his team. Buttigieg's newness to the scene definitely contributes to his lack of black support and so I think he does come at like issues of race from a genuine place you know like I think he probably did take sociology 110 at Harvard. (laughs) I think a lot of the ways he comes at it is from a place of like intellectualism which is how he comes at a lot of things and not so much having black advisors talking to black voters things like that and that's just sort of my perception I'm not 100% sure on that. I would like to see more sort of outreach from him and less of intellectual speak about systemic racism, although obviously that's not unhelpful. One of my favorite topics, education. Three candidates rolled out some new plans about education, Klobuchar, Tim Ryan, and Jay Inslee. Uh, Do you want to talk a little bit about those? Amy Klobuchar has released what she calls Progress Partnerships, which would provide incentives for states to increase teacher pay, adapt high school curriculums, and adjust funding formulas to improve equity. That last point, is big because funding for schools comes from real estate taxes, meaning that like wealthy communities have better public schools. Um, so that creates a lot of inequity. Tim Ryan wants to provide a large investment in uh, public schools, $50 billion. And then Inslee, as per all of his <laughs> campaign, has tied his education plans to climate change. So he wants more STEM education and STEM training. I think I'd like to see exactly where this is going to. I went to an event about education equity today, talking about how like Low-income, high-poverty schools don't just need equal funding, they need more. That's where most of the resources need to be going when you talk about federal funding. We've backtracked a lot with our current Department of Education, but I would hope that in coming weeks and months, we see, like you said, candidates go a little bit beyond just providing more funding for this program or that program. What we have right now is a huge deep opportunity gap and a lot of the schools like what they don't need necessarily is just a hundred thousand dollars here a hundred thousand dollars there while that definitely will help close some of the gaps it's a much larger issue than that it's about segregation there's deep-seated inequalities right and it's also interesting because education is an area where like federal policy has been like for the most part unsuccessful in recent years like The No Child Left Behind Act has largely been seen as a failure. Common Core really went down in flames. ESSA, the Every Student Succeeds Act, was kind of seen as a conservative victory. That's 2015, um, which gives more control to localities and states. It'll be interesting to see what candidates, how candidates think the federal government should be involved in education and to what level they should be involved. Okay, Gabby, I see you pulling out those policy (laughs) names. Okay. I literally wrote an article about this today at work. I like educated myself literally in the last few hours. And our girl, Christy Gillibrand, she really came out with that literal medium post, (laughs) medium blog post. She's like a freelance writer. (laughs) She's in the blog scene. She came out swinging. She was like, we need automatic voter registration. We need to make voter day like a national federal holiday. She's really hammering over the fact that she is the only candidate who really wants clean, publicly funded campaigns. I mean, I'm all for personally automatic voter registration, federal voting holiday, stuff like that. It's just an interesting 
platform choice to come out with right away. This is the point that Jill Brand like tried to make it into the debate and sounded kind of like lost in the desert when she was saying it. It's an interesting look. It definitely is like differentiates yourself. I don't know if people outside of sort of academics and activists in this area care enough about it to like change their support and she really needs something. So I guess try anything. I feel like right now she's kind of like a Sanders 2.0. Right. I read a profile of her where she was like, actually she used to like be like a second amendment chick because she was from upstate New York when she was in the house. And then when she ran for Senate, she had to get a lot more liberal. So she's moved to the left a ton in the last five years. So next, our money minute. (laughs) The deadline to announce second quarter earnings is technically next week, but we just wanted to kind of give a preview about that, see where some of the biggest names are headed. A few names have not announced yet, like Booker or Klobuchar. (laughs) Marissa wrote, instead of Buttigieg, wrote butt on the outline. (laughs) That sums it up. Um, he's got, literally got cash out the ass, um, so that makes sense. He has $24.8 million over a three-month period, which is, um, comparable to both Obama and Clinton in 2007 when they were in the primary, but again, back then there were not, like, everyone and their mother wasn't running for president, it was just, like, Obama, Clinton. Back then, we only had a few candidates. We could count them all in two hands. Today's children will never know. Today's children have to literally use all their fingers and toes. Plus the horn they have in the back of their head from looking at their phones. <laughs> yeah, this is a huge haul for Buttigieg, who's been fundraising a lot. Biden's close behind 21 and a half since April. Sanders is at 18 million, which is a bit of a slide for him, I think, from his initial first mm. quarter earnings. Harris raised 12 million for the quarter, um, 2 million in the day following the debates, and poor Michael Bennett has only raised $2 million. The big news to me is that Elizabeth Warren, without any private dinners where you have to have like a count ahead or things like that, has raised $19 million, um, no packs, entirely from individual donations. Um, what are your thoughts about that? Because I think that's pretty wild. Yeah, I think Warren is running a really interesting game um, because I think she doesn't necessarily need to get her name out there as much. Like, we were talking about this the first debate. She was just kind of sitting there chilling. She didn't really talk that much for the second half of the debate, it seemed to us. She has pretty good facial recognition, pretty good name recognition. She's allowed to not have private donors because she's definitely like five or six million behind people like Buttigieg. But at the same time, She's doing better than him in the polls. And so I think he needs that money and he needs those private donors. I think this is really cool because political campaigns is an industry in and of itself. And so is political consulting. And I'm going to play my like, I'm from DC card here. Political consulting is like a huge thing. There's a whole industry around it. Um, You know, that's marketing, that's advertising, that's polling. There's so many things involved in that. And to do everything in-house. And she's created this whole viral media thing around like Elizabeth Warren calling small dollar donors because people will put it on Twitter. They donated $15 and dollars, whatever. And then she calls them and it's this whole thing about like picking up an unknown number, which is a whole other right. millennial psychodrama. But um, yeah, one of my friends is literally waiting on the phone, like waiting for someone to call with an unknown number. And it's really like an insurance company. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get scammed. I think she's really turned it into like this great momentum for herself. So I'm into it. Let's move into some some births and deaths. Who was politically born this week? Tom Steyer was politically born this week. I personally did not know much about him. I know that he had been like, oh, no, no, guys, like, come on, not running. And then he was like, oh, just kidding, I'm running. <laughs> so we're like, liar. First of all, it's not starting off his campaign to a truthful start. <laughs> um, but he's basically 62 years old, according to Wikipedia. He is a billionaire hedge fund manager he's a philanthropist and environmentalist liberal activist and fundraiser so that's wikipedia 
do you know any more about him? Um, yeah, all I know about him is that he runs, like, this organization that creates all this, like, pro-impeachment ads and stuff. <laughs> so he's very pro-impeachment. Um, this just annoys me because, like, A, I just cannot keep keeping track of these candidates. Like, it's too much. <laughs> Obviously, it's too much. But B, like, I've, I hate this whole thing where, like, rich people, like, the ultra-rich are like, oh, my God, things aren't going my way. Like, let me just run the government myself because I don't already run the private right. sector and the labor market and XYZ. I'm like, can you literally stay out of one thing? And, like, you, I know you already pay millions of candidates and give money to all these political figures. Like, do you have to do everything yourself? You already run the government, basically, because you're rich. Yeah. So I don't understand why you feel like you have to do it in public. Just keep doing it in private. Like, everyone knows you do. And move along. <laughs> it's also interesting because, like, this big conversation in the Democratic Party right now is, like, should billionaires exist? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know where you stand on that. <laughs> Go off. <laughs> um, having, like, a billionaire candidate is just kind of, like, weird. We don't need another rich white guy on the stage. We just have so many. Just move and aside. We need candidates to leave, not to come. <laughs> um, speaking of leaving, who has left us recently? He's departed. He's gone. He should be commended for his ability to leave the race. More people should follow. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That should set a trend for other Democratic candidates. I would say maybe half at least. Um, it's our guy, Eric Swalwell. You know, Eric, you'll always be remembered for telling Joe Biden to pass the torch, for uh, saying, I think we all have children, um, to Kamala Harris. You know, we hardly knew you, but... Bon voyage. Uh, have a great post-presidency run life. Moving on, we're going to discuss Joe Biden's skeleton. Um, Marissa, how would you characterize like the quality of his bones right now? You know, I'm no doctor here, but <laughs> I would say that they're pretty hollow in the fact that like something could be in those bones. Like, I don't know. He keeps saying he has no racist bone in his body. Speaking as someone who goes on WebMD frequently, the racism <laughs> is in there. It's somewhere in his body. So it, it's got to be somewhere. His eyes, his brain. If you thought bones were emotionally value neutral, you are wrong. They're either not <laughs> racist or they're just like fuming with the fire of racism. There's right. no in between. They could not just be like bones. There has to be a value judgment on their racist character. <laughs> and Bidens are not racist. You know, even though he did praise segregationists, support busing legislation, sign the crime bill. But no, no bones are <laughs> racist. Don't make exactly. that mistake. Uh, what did he do this week? Well, he brought himself and his bag of bones up to CNN. <laughs> and he basically had this interview where he was just saying that he didn't really expect Kamala Harris to attack him during the debate because he was like oh harris knows me and my family really well like i didn't believe she was capable like blah 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 which just seems um, like poor preparation on the part of his campaign they didn't i think know somebody he really, was gonna attack him like he made himself so vulnerable to attack i think he said like he he kind of knew like a race would come up as an issue it was like okay biden but he was like <laughs> oh i never expected from harris i'm like okay like that seems like painting her in the villain when you are really the villain in this story if we had to pick one he apologized for sort of his whole rhetoric on race in the last few weeks um i thought it was pretty thin he was mm. like, I'm sorry if my words somehow offended people, which doesn't seem like you're taking ownership of, like, the fact that they did offend people. And, like, it's pretty easy to see how, how they offended people. <laughs> so <laughs> right. I want to, like, to see more accountability from him. He just has so many skeletons in his closet, hopefully ones with no racist bones. The bones have no racism of those skeletons in that closet. <laughs> so all of these non-racist skeletons are in his closet, and I'm just like, how are you going to get past this? Right. I, I mean, we're going to talk about polls right now, but I don't see how... If he continues to literally put his non-racist foot in his mouth, opening that non-racist mandibula, <laughs> 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 oh 
like I don't understand like how he's gonna get past all this you know yeah it's not looking great and I don't think he's doing a lot for himself to make it better and I see him really continuing to fall unless he has a great debate performance so we'll see but again he does have that big voter support base and uh as you want to go into he's still currently uh leading in polls but he took a pretty big dip yeah definitely according to the CNN poll I mean you know five percent margin of error but it's still pretty significant a lot of the polls I've seen fall along similar lines he dropped almost 10 points since may so he's at 22 percent about right now kamala harris uh jumped up after the debates and she's around 17 ish percent right now in most polls uh warren is not too far behind it's kind of a tie almost between second and third for warren and harris depending on the poll sanders is a little bit behind them um he dropped a little bit after the debate people to judge is a bit up but still kind of wavering around four or five percent Cory Booker behind that, Beto behind that, and Amy Klobuchar behind that. So it's kind of establishing itself to be a top five, six situation. Although, as we saw with last election, polls don't mean everything. I think it is going to get narrowed down to those kind of top five to seven um, by this fall, I would hope. I think after the next debate, if people don't do well, they're going to drop out because they just don't have the money. I would hope so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> we can only pray. I was looking at people who've already qualified for like the next round of debates. Interestingly, Marianne Williamson has already met the requirements, yeah. so we'll get more of her. She got a lot of free Twitter press. Definitely, like, 100%. People who had never heard of her were making memes, which I think says something about s- something. I'm not really sure what, <laughs> but it says something. Something was said there. We're going to end today with our little something fun because we like to think of ourselves as fun people. This week, in honor of The Lion King coming out. And that new Mulan trailer dropping. And the Mulan uh, trailer dropping. Shout out oof. to that. Each candidate has like a walk-on song. They used to walk on to rallies. If they had to use a Disney song, what would be the most appropriate? We came um, up with some really good ones, y'all. I'm pretty proud of us, you guys. Like, if you disagree, you're wrong. So to start, Elizabeth Warren... I can go the distance from the great movie, Hercules. Honestly, that entire movie soundtrack, if you really look at most of the songs, this can all be attributed to Elizabeth Warren. Bill de Blasio, we've got from the classic Mulan, uh, I'll Make a Man Out of You. Bill de Blasio has this like paternalistic, masculine, like screamo energy, <laughs> where he's like, this is how it's going to be. I'm going to lay down the law, like everybody follow. It really came out of his screaming. Um, Rissa went deep on this next one, so I hope everyone pays attention. Be prepared from The Lion King. That's the one where Scar is, like, talking to the hyenas and they're being dumb. Okay, let's play a game. Guess if this is Scar from The Lion King or Bernie Sanders from the Democratic primaries. (laughs) Just listen to the teacher. I know it sounds sordid, but you'll be rewarded when at last I'm given my dues and injustice deliciously squared. Be prepared. Now, who said that, Gabby? Like, it sounds like Bernie Sanders talking about the Democratic Party, like, giving Hillary the nomination. <laughs> Wrong! That was Scar! <laughs> Guys, crazy, I will link the lyrics think. in the transcript. This is exactly written. Like, the second half of the song was written Makes by Sanders even more himself. Sense. Literally, the Bernie Sanders <laughs> campaign wrote, I mean, he's old enough to have written it, so <laughs> when the line <laughs> came out. No, please listen to this song right after you finish listening to this podcast. It's accurate. If anybody has seen Pocahontas, it's racist meandering <laughs> a lot but there is a song that slaps called colors of the wind who would that be besides our very own marianne williamson so that's probably her like hype up song before she goes out into the debates and talks about whatever it is she talks about tulsi t stands for troops covered definitely <laughs> a girl with fighting for from mulan as well beto o'rourke um the classic everybody wants to be a cat from aristocats like everybody <laughs> wants to be a cat 
because the cat's the only cat who knows where it's at. Uh, Broadway, someone put her on Broadway. <laughs> Beto just, that's, that song screams that to me. I don't know why. And this next song could also apply to Beto, but we gave it to Pete Buttigieg. Um, it's Just Can't Wait to Be King from The Lion King. It's this whole idea that I think both of them encompass that they were like born to do this. Like their whole life has been <laughs> leading them to this moment. And they're just like little kids like, oh, I want to be president. Like it's my destiny. It's in the stars. Like no one's going to tell me what to do. It's this weird like younger white guy. This was written in the stars. Energy. I mean, it kind of was for them because they are white men, but... Yeah. <laughs> John Hickenlooper's Circle of Life, because, you know, it moves us all. It should move him to <laughs> drop out it of the race, It should move him know? out the door. <laughs> Jay Inslee strikes me as an under-the-sea kind of guy, only because he only talks about climate change. And so I feel like he'd be singing under the sea, but, like, guys, like, there are things under the sea. There's things in the ocean we need to clean up. Like, I will clean it up with my own two hands, personally, <laughs> With the $3 that I have raised, I will buy a shovel and just start sweeping out trash in the ocean. <laughs> it's choking poor flounder right here. It's not like everything's better down where it's wetter, you have to understand. Like, this is desperate, crazed plea. Tim Ryan, Ava Klobuchar, John Delaney, basically any sort of centrist candidate who's very interested in the working class, whatever that means. Hi-ho from Snow White, you know, just the working man going off to work, doing his daily work. That's who they're trying to support. But it's only old white men, nobody else. Only white men with beer. Thanks everyone for listening. You can catch me and Marissa in the next iteration of this podcast when the debates happen. And you can catch Tim Ryan, Amy Klobuchar, and John Delaney in an off-Broadway play called Snow White Working Class. (laughs) Thank you everyone for tuning in. Nobody asked us, but here we are.